When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, the NFL Playoffs, the greatest one-and-done tournament this side of March Madness. On the way to the Lombardi Trophy, there are some games coaches, players, and fans love to relive and think about. Others, well, they leave a scar that never heals. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, here we go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome. This show is for you. Not for the know-it-alls. Again, poof, be gone, find another show. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do what? Enlighten, teach, and learn. Yes, it is the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports podcast network. BellyUpSports.com is where you catch all of us, the podcasters, the content creators, the writers, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, as well as YouTube. You can catch all of our shows, including mine. Mine is yet, not yet on YouTube. We'll get there one day. Uh, look, I love the NFL playoffs. This is the reason why people love the NCAA tournament, because what? It's one and done. This season, as it is every season, it starts with 32 NFL teams. 14 teams. We had the extra ones for this new expanded playoffs and the extend the extended NFL 18-week season. 14 teams got in. Now we're down to just four games and eight teams. Let's review. It's the rundown playoff style. Saturday AFC wildcard Raiders at Bengals. Look, the Cincinnati Bengals, they got their first playoff win in 31 years in 31 degrees of weather in Cincinnati. It was a good game. By far the best playoff game of the weekend, in my opinion. The Raiders, they nearly tied it at the end. What was it, a 26 to 19 victory for the Bengals. Except, you know, going back to Derek Carr, he throws the pick on fourth and goal. One thing about Carr though, this guy, every game I watch, the analyst and the broadcast team always has the exact same thing to say about him. It's mostly the color guy who was a former player or whatnot, he holds on to the ball too long and he misses way too many open receivers. Remember I kept saying 
all year long, well, in spots, not all year long, since they got Deshaun Jackson from the Rams, every time the ball goes in his hands, something always hand, uh, happens, except what, in the first quarter of the game, or maybe it was the second quarter when Deshaun, had, he was wide open, could have scored a touchdown, and he dropped a short out pattern. Yeah, I kind of thought about that long and hard. But, you know, you got to hit those open receivers. And Derek does miss some things. Not even sure if that's going to change one of these days because, I mean, he's been doing it for as long as we've been watching him. Um, not sure if that's going to change anytime soon. As far as the Bengals are concerned, though, they bought a ticket to Nashville to play the Titans, so they'll be here. Now, their offense, impressive as always. Joe Burrow not smoking the cigar just yet. Uh, Jamar Chase, they said that the job is not done, just like Kobe said. But they might have a problem on defense. And as good as the offense has been, their defense has been, what, middle of the pack? But their issue is that defensive tackle. They lost too many guys to injury. They finished the game with only two healthy defensive tackles. They lost Mike Daniels to a groin injury, Troy Hendrickson to a concussion, and Larry Okunjobi to a foot injury. They're razor thin. What does that mean? Derrick Henry, unless they step on his toe, should run all over the Bengals' defense. But we shall see. By the way, and I'm not picking on Alabama again. Congratulations to Georgia, you know, to winning the Nash national championship. But there's two players, whenever I hear their names, it's always because of a penalty. Josh Job. I don't even know if he played in the natty defensive back. But Alex Leatherwood, Raiders right guard, he kind of, he makes too many mistakes. He's, I mean, he's talented. He's the starting. I think he was the starting right tackle for a while, and then he moved him to guard. Every time I hear his name called, it's for holding a false start. Well, I mean, most of the time you hear <laughs> any offensive lineman's name called is because of a penalty. You don't say, oh, look at that block. Well, you, you know, every now and then you get, look at that block. But this guy, get it together, man. Every time the Raiders, I watch a Raiders game, those are the two things I hear. Alex Leatherwood, penalties, and Derek Carr is missing wide open receivers, holding on to the ball. Y'all better fix it. Better fix it. Saturday night, Patriots at Bills. Okay, I was very impressed. Yes, I've been on the Bills on that case every week because they've been up and down. And Josh Allen, that entire Bills team, they were off the charts. They did a great job on all phases of the game. I think they scored on all their possessions uh, and picked up first downs every single uh, drive, except, you know, at the end, they kneeled the ball down. I forgot Mitchell Trubisky was even on the team. He's the backup. Took three kneel downs, and then that was it. They beat Bill Belichick and the Patriots by 30. What was it, 47 to 17? The only way Buffalo gets beaten these playoffs, obviously, is Josh Allen does what everybody expects him to do, which is something stupid, something dumb. He's going to pull a dumb play out of his out of his butt. That's it. So now we get to see them play the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are firing at the right time. I will not miss a snap. As for the Patriots, they'll get better. They have their quarterback, Mac Jones. They know what they're short on. I trust this franchise to bring in the players that they need to bring in. And listening to Bill Belichick and their interview before he was on a, like a zoom or whatever before the game and he's like yeah josh allen that guy's a problem he's going to go after the best free agents or draft picks or what he's going to try to combat that good luck with that you know going forward and but i do trust that the patriots will fix that but we'll see what do they look like 
next year. Sunday, NFC wildcard, noon, Eagles at Buccaneers. Philadelphia is not ready yet. They clearly have some talent. Um, Jalen Hurts, he has to improve on his accuracy. They had a lot of mental mistakes in that game as well. In all honesty, Philly's defense, they had no answer for Tom Brady and Mike Evans. No answer at all. And, I mean, what are you going to show Tom Brady that he hasn't seen already? The man has played in 46 playoff games and 10 Super Bowls. He's got seven rings, and his record is, what, 35-11 and 11 in the playoffs. So I'm sure that they did their due diligence. Either they called the New Orleans Saints as well as watching their film over the past two seasons. But, you know, the Saints have been Brady's kryptonite, but they can't do what the Saints can do. It's just, you know, what wasn't going to happen. Now the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers defense, they knew what to do. Philly came in, what, averaging, I think it was 159 yards a game on Sunday, then ran for only 95 yards. Only 95. And 34 of that came on that Boston Scott touchdown run in the fourth quarter. Philly goes home. Tampa will be hosting the Rams. Good luck. Afternoon, 315 game, 49ers at Cowboys. Look, I don't want to hear it. That and, and it's been explained. There's no excuses. None. The ref has to touch the football. The ref, I'm gonna say it one more time. The referee has to spot. The football. Can't do it yourself. I mean, it gets no simpler than that. And if you don't know that as a fan, if you didn't know that before, get a mirror. Okay? The 49ers got their first ever playoff win in Dallas. And it seems almost fitting that the Cowboys season ends because of referee involvement. Very fitting. Meaning what? Penalties. Keep in mind, the Cowboys, if you didn't know already, they were the most penalized team in the league. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I'm right. Sunday, they had nine that killed drives or they extended the 49ers drive, put themselves in an early hole, 23-7. to And Debo and them boys was running through them like they weren't even standing there. And San Francisco, they held on to win the game despite losing stars like Joey Bosa, Fred Warner, and Jarek Willis, Willis during the game. Hopefully, they'll return next week. They're going to need them. And the only question that I had with the Cowboys, if they would be the only team hosting a playoff game this weekend to lose. And, yeah, I was right. I wonder what Jerry was going to do next. Uh, this was supposed to be the year. And after San Francisco, they need to heal up quick and bundle up because they are going to Green Bay Saturday night. Moving to Sunday night, AFC wildcard Steelers at the Chiefs. Look, look at my face. I know you can't see me, but look at my face. Do I look surprised as a Steelers fan? Of course not. So J.J. White got the scoop and score, and Pittsburgh was up early 7 to nothing. That was just to make both me and other Steelers fans feel better. Had we won that game, I would have run down the street butt naked. I, I mean, in the cold. But I knew that that wasn't going to happen. Okay? Am I surprised that Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdowns? No. Am I surprised that the Pittsburgh Steelers defense gave up 42 points? Not really, but I did expect them to play a little bit better. But it's Kansas City. They're at home. It's the playoffs. And Kansas City will be hosting Buffalo in the game of epic proportions this weekend. And I can't wait. As for Pittsburgh, thank you, Big Ben. I appreciate everything you've done for the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise. And as far as Pittsburgh is concerned, please find us the new GM because Kevin Colbert has stepped down. Uh, after, he's stepping down after the draft. But please find us a quarterback. 
please. Kansas City, all I have is one favor to ask, just as a fan. Please beat the Bills. Monday night, NFC Wild Card, Cardinals at the Rams. First time in playoff history, in NFL history, a playoff game is on a Monday, Monday night. I see slow improvement in Arizona, but they're still not ready. This squad needs to stay in the oven a little bit longer. They start off 7-0. Then they go 3-2 with a couple of surprise wins without Kyler Well, at least one surprise win without Kyler Murray. Forgot Colt McCoy was even in the league. But then they lose a couple of games that you didn't expect as well. Then they go 1-5 to end the season. Anybody remember when Emmitt Smith used to work for ESPN? I do. In the words of the great Emmitt Smith, Quote, they got blowed out by the Rams 34 to 11. Kyler Murray wasn't great. 34, what, 19 of 34, two picks. That's not going to cut it in the playoffs, man. But as a player, sometimes you probably need to lose games like that because it what builds character. <laughs> Kingsbury has a good team. Cliff Kingsbury, coach of the Rams. They, uh, excuse me, of the Rams. Kingsbury, coach of the Cardinals. They just have to be consistent start to finish. Oh, also, players up to Buda Baker had that scary uh, head injury. I think it was a helmet-to-helmet uh, against Cam Sims, the running back for the Rams. He did have movement in his extremities. He did go straight to the hospital, as far as my update of what I've read lately. So, but, okay, now the Rams. First of all, congratulations to Matthew Stafford for his first ever playoff win in his 13-year career. No clapping, no clapping, no clapping. Simple, efficient, 13 of 17, but 202 yards and two touchdowns. You got OBJ scoring his first points and uh, his first playoff touchdown. He threw a 40-yard pass. Defense is playing great as always. And speaking of which, Eric Weddle came out of retirement. Two-time All-Pro, 37 years old. I'm telling you, man, L.A. Rams GM Les Snead, he is slick building a Pro Bowl slash Hall of Fame team. You already had brought in Jalen Ramsey a couple years ago. And you bring in Von Miller and you got Odell Beckham, now Eric Weddle. I'm not saying all these guys are going to be the reason that, you know, to really put you over the top. They're going to have to make some plays. But clearly, they are trying to go. They're going all in. Every single chip is being pushed to the middle of the table so they can play a home game in Super Bowl 56 at SoFi. Good luck next week. And Tampa. The second round of playoffs are now set. And of course, fans of the Raiders, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Steelers, the Cardinals, and of course, the Cowboy fans are now on the playoff couch, as I call it, watching like the rest of us. Coming up next, depending on what side of the fence you were on, we're going to talk about some of the greatest wins and painful losses in NFL playoff history. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. 
Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. The playoffs, the part of the season that made me fall in love with the NFL in the first place. Win and you move on, you lose, you go home. It's, the, it's what put butterflies in my stomach other than you know, meeting my wife or, or, or anything like that, that put butterflies in my stomach. It was the nervousness of, I love playoffs. It means more. It means more because that's it. It's the finality of these games. It means the end of your season. Or it could even mean the end of a player's time with a franchise like Big, Big Ben, the end of a career. Same thing for coaches, whether they get fired or whether they move on as a coordinator or maybe even a head coach to another job, or they retire. The playoffs, they make or break people in this league. People are hired and fired based on playoff success. It's important. But I started reminiscing about some of the past games in the playoffs, and I thought about uh, just let's just take some time to share a few this week. Most of you diehard football fans should know about these games. So here we go. So I'm bear with me. So I got my book. Can you hear it? Yeah, I'm going to read a little excerpt from my book, my favorite history book in the, on the NFL, uh, America's Game, the NFL at 100, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Get it, read it, it's good. So, chapter 31. Every December 23rd, former Oakland Raiders linebacker Phil Villapiano receives a phone call from Franco Harris that begins with the following question. What, are you, what were you doing on this day, X years ago, this this many years ago. Quote, this is from Villa Piano. He'll call around 4.07 p.m. or 4.08 p.m. because the game ran late. He's relentless with this phone call, Villa Piano said. The 1972 AFC Divisional Playoff Raiders at Steelers. One of the most controversial and talked about games in NFL history it was played at Three Rivers Stadium on December 23rd, 1972 in Pittsburgh. And weirdly enough to me, the Pittsburgh Steelers were two-point favorites over the visiting Oakland Raiders, according to Vegas. Now, if you know any history to this point, the Steelers were just on the come up, while the Raiders, they had already played in a couple of Super Bowls uh, and vying for those AFC Championship games almost every single year. Well, this would be the first postseason game between these two uh, eventual rivals. The game was scoreless in the first half. Pittsburgh led 6 to nothing when Raiders quarterback Ken Stabler ran for a 30-yard touchdown with 1 minute and 13 seconds left to go in the game. 22 seconds left when the Pittsburgh Steelers had the ball. Fourth down to 10 on the Pittsburgh 40-yard line. Terry Bradshaw takes the snap, avoids the rush while running to his right, and then he stops and fires a pass over the middle to his running back, John Frenchy Fuqua. Raiders safety Jack Tatum nails Fuqua and the ball bounces off of one of those players, maybe both of them, don't know, and it fires backwards and out of view of the camera if you're looking at the television view. And out of nowhere, rookie running back Franco Harris catches the football inches from the ground and runs 60 yards for the game-winning touchdown. So what's the problem? Well, back in the day, 
the NFL rule was that a ball basically cannot touch two consecutive offensive players and be advanced. So if Fuqua had touched the football, that play was going to be dead as soon as Franco Harris caught the ball. Well, y'all know that I'm a Steelers fan, okay? So, but the the, the ball supposedly bounced off a of Tatum, right? I'm a Steelers fan, and I'll be totally honest. I cannot stand the old school Raiders. All right, that's it. It's out there. I'm also one that will also call it like I see it. Watching that replay, clearly Tatum coming downhill for that hit caused that football to ricochet and shoot backwards. The camera angle from behind the Pittsburgh offense really tells the truth. The ball touched it, period. And, you know, I also know that the Raiders of that day, they were always playing outside the rules and, you know, were the Steelers dirty, you know, at times? Yeah. You know, were the Raiders dirty? Of course they were. But they're on record talking about how they do things outside the rules on a regular basis. And <laughs> this time, uh, uh, a good rule kind of went against them and i just you can't trust anything that they said i'm sorry you had a team that had that kind of reputation for a reason and yet they embraced the the black hat i think it got they got burned by it and it only got worse after that year in my opinion but officials met after that play for 15 minutes if you watch it you see that people are celebrating long after the play you know has been the touchdown has been scored but it wasn't confirmed yet. 15 minutes they met. In the end, the play was ruled inconclusive as Harris's touchdown was upheld. They said basically that Tatum touched the football. Pittsburgh won their first ever playoff game 13-7, and it would launch the Steelers' dynasty. And Harris's catch is forever known. It's even in the airport, y'all. Pittsburgh International Airport. It's known forever as the Immaculate Reception. And I'll end that by reading this so this is this is the account from Villapiano I had taken my eye off of Franco to look back at Branshaw and then saw the ball fly over my head after it made contact with Frenchie he says the ball hit Frenchie Fuqua recalled the Raiders linebacker and then Franco traps the ball on the ground incomplete pass I have a good angle on Franco on Franco but the tight end dove on the back of my legs and once Franco has one step on you it's over excuses 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 <laughs> that's all I hear blah 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 we lost the game blah blah but Franco won't let it be over for the four-time Pro Bowl linebacker 46 years later this book was written in 2019 by the way 46 later to the week Villapiano uh, said Franco sends me a message and shows and, and it shows he is kissing the Pope's ring in Rome and the Pope said quote it was immaculate now he's been blessed by the Pope I can't tell you I, I can't call Franco a liar that's pretty cool stuff they'll never agree on that two teams are never going to agree on stuff like that well fast forward a couple years the Dallas Cowboys had a pretty rich history in their short time in the NFL from 1960. That was their inception. Every time Dallas came short of a championship, it was because basically it was the eventual champ. The Green Bay Packers, the Cleveland Browns showed them that in the early in the late 60s, that is. In the 60s and 70s, going from the 60s to the 70s, the Cowboys 
went to the Super Bowl five times in the 1970s, coming away with two Lombardi trophies. I think the beginning of the end of the Dallas dominance started in 1981 in the NFC Championship game. Sunday, January 10th, 1982. The San Francisco 49ers hosted the Cowboys at Candlestick Park. Speaking of kicking off dynasties, the 49ers would dethrone the Dallas Cowboys as the best team in the NFC on this day. Bill Walsh was in his fourth year, I believe, as head coach. Joe Montana was the starting quarterback, and they had all these stars such as Dwight Clark, Kenny Turner, and rookies Dwight uh, Hicks and Ronnie Lott. Roger Staubach had already retired, and in his place was his one-time backup, Danny White. Tom Landry, he had led the Cowboys to a 12-4 record. Walsh and San Francisco had improved to 13-3. Still, Dallas was a three-point favorite. Now, fast forward to the fourth quarter of this game. Four minutes, 54 to play, 89 yards away. It had been a really good game, which Dallas had led at that point 27-21. This is that season uh, that the media has been talking about this year with the Cowboys corner, Trayvon Diggs, who led the NFL with 11 interceptions that season, uh, this season. Everson Walls corner for the Cowboys at that time. He had his 11 picks in 1981, his rookie season. Not sure if people remember, but Joe Montana had tossed three interceptions that day in that game, two of which were picked off by Walls. He couldn't afford to turn the football over anymore on this final drive. Obviously, Dallas was expecting San Fran to throw the football, and they had a dime defense, six defensive backs, a dime defense on the field. The 49ers had responded in that game uh, during that drive by running the football. Had reverse in there and running some off-tackle plays. It was a beautiful drive of Montana. Passes sprinkled in. But then from the six-yard line, Bill Walsh had called Brown left slot, sprint right option. Now, just as Montana is about to run out of bounds, he lost a pass. He's rolling to his right, and he lost a pass to the, the back of the right end zone. It was caught out of the air by the 6'4", Dwight Clark, for the go-ahead touchdown. He was covered by Everson Walls, by the way. The Cowboys maintained that Montana was throwing the football out of bounds, but it's well documented in actual video, many different videos, as a matter of fact, that this play was practiced by Walsh's offense. Like I said, I, I called it. And even on the diagram of the play, you have Dwight Clark, who is running um, running an over route going across the back of the end zone and purposely will stop and go back. It's almost like one of those quick zip, uh, I forget what you call that. It's an option route. And he's going back out. It's kind of like what you see Renfro uh, for, the, for the Raiders or Cooper Cup for the Rams run. But San Francisco, they led 28 to 27 after that touchdown pass. And for those who don't know, the Cowboys actually got the ball back with 47 seconds left to go in the game. So the second biggest play of the game occurred on the first pass of Dallas's final drive from Danny White to Drew Pearson. One reason the 49ers were so bad in the late 70s and even I think around 1980 was because they couldn't cover a bed with a sheet. Walsh and the Niners used Four of their five draft choices, I believe, that year on defense in 1981. On defensive backs in that, it was what? Uh, Eric Wright, who was a pro bowler as a rookie. 
made the tackle of the year on Drew Pearson that basically saved a touchdown. The next play, San Francisco got a sack fumble uh, on, on White, which they recovered, ending the game. I watched a YouTube video from NFL Network uh, called The Birth of a 49ers Dynasty. Uh, and obviously, there's a small rivalry that began early on with the 49ers and the Cowboys. And it, it started that day because in, uh, in earlier that season, San Francisco had a 45-14 beatdown of Dallas in Week 6. Well, apparently there was some disrespect on the part of the Dallas Cowboys and a little bit from the media as well. They weren't on uh, Monday Night Football, Howard Cosell. They beat the, the America's team down and normally Cosell would put you in there uh, and play, players were looking for highlights and stuff from Howard Cosell. There was nothing. So they felt a little disrespected. Well, they just they had to earn that respect. They had to prove themselves to the Cowboys as well as the rest of the world. And it's to be pointed out that while the rest of the Niners were celebrating with Clark after that touchdown pass, Montana was busy in the face of Ed Tutal Jones giving him the verbal business. The best line I heard from that game came from Joe Montana. Apparently afterwards, Tutal had said to him, I believe it was Ed Tutal Jones, that he said, you just beat America's team. And Montana responded, well, you can sit with the rest of America and watch us in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it already, also, man, Darren Ravel had a nice tweet too. And it was a pick, I think it was six-year-old Tom Brady, uh, who was a 40, he's a known 49ers fan growing up. And he was at the game being held by his mom you know, during that game. He was there. That that right there, that was that's pretty good stuff. Coming up next, yeah, a drive, a fumble, and a comeback. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. January 11th, 1987, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. John Elway, had, he had been the first pick of the 1983 draft. Most talented prospect and quarterback ever at the time. Yet, the team hadn't broke through to even appear in the AFC Championship game uh, and Elway was up under some scrutiny. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine that. An uh, 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 athlete that we lift up so high being put under the, the lights with a glass of water in front of him on the table. And you ain't won a championship yet? What's, what's taking so long? You know, he's in, what, his uh, third, fourth year, something like that. Um, the Broncos had beaten. They came in having beaten the New England Patriots in the divisional round. While the Cleveland Browns beat the New York Jets in double overtime. The Browns hosted the game as three-point favorites. And it came down to the fourth quarter, like these games often do. The Browns took a 20-13 lead in the fourth quarter on a 48-yard touchdown pass from Bernie Kosar to wide receiver Brian Breenan. Keep in mind, 
that the Cleveland Browns were trying to break through themselves as a team. They hadn't won a championship since 1964. Unfortunately, Browns fans are still waiting. In his 16-year career, John Elway has produced 31 fourth-quarter comebacks and 40 game-winning drives in the regular season. All right, That's what he finished his career with. So you go back to 1987. He also had four postseason fourth-quarter comebacks and six postseason game-winning drives. And this one, this year, would be his first. Denver rookie return man Ken Bell, he mishandles a kickoff at the two-yard line. But known simply in NFL history as, quote, the drive, Elway led the Broncos in a 15-play, 98-yard drive that ended with a touchdown pass from John Elway to receiver Mark Jackson. In overtime, the Browns had a three and out. Elway then drives the Broncos into field goal range and... Sutton death rules at the time. The first people to score, that was it. So a lot of these games, they get in with a field goal. You didn't get another. You didn't get a turn. They kick a field goal, you lose. They score a touchdown, of course, just like now, you lose. Where a barefooted kicker, Rich Carlos, nails a 33-yarder in overtime to send the Broncos to the Super Bowl with a 23-20 victory. Two things. One, this was the first conference championship game to go into overtime since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970, and only the third NFL title game to go into overtime since 1962 at the time. It is also to be noted, this was Cleveland's fourth overtime game in seven weeks. But they had lost none of those this season until that point. Bad timing. Going to the next year, January 17, 1988, this time... Uh, it would prove to be a little bit worse. This was the date of the 1987 AFC Championship game, this time played in Denver at Mile High Stadium. Uh, the second John Elway comeback. Yes, Denver held a 21-3 halftime lead. But the Browns tied it at 31 in the fourth quarter. Elway and the Broncos, though, they took a 38-31 lead on the Elway touchdown pass, and then it happened. Cleveland running back Ernest Byron was the go-to guy in this game. He had, what, 67 yards on the ground. This is him and Kevin Mack, Brian Brennan, and uh, who's it, Webster Slaughter, you know, that, and Bernie Kosar on offense. But Byron at the time, yes, Washington fans, before he played for you guys, he was a Brown. Um, but they had a one-two punch with Ernest Byron and Kevin Mack. Byner, though, was one of those dual-threat guys. 67 yards on the ground and 120 yards, I believe, on seven catches in that game. And he scored twice, clearly on his way into the end zone. Clearly, he gets a handoff. He's clearly on his way to the end zone when he fumbles inside Denver's five-yard line. Ouch. Backup quarterback, defensive back, backup corner, Jeremiah Castillo, he knocked the ball out of Byron's hands and recovered it at the three-yard line with a minute and five remaining in the game. The Broncos moved on to the second straight Super Bowl, and this game became known as the Fumble. And the Browns haven't been back to the AFC Championship game since. And I'm going to wrap it with this one. Some call it the comeback. Others call it the choke. Again, it depends on who you were rooting for that day in 1992. I still can't believe that this happened. I went back. I watched the whole game. I watched it again on YouTube. 
I watch the highlights and my mouth is just sitting open. And all I'm thinking about is I'm just looking at the players on the side. Let me get to it. The Houston Oilers hosted the Buffalo Bills in the final game of the 92 regular season, beating them 27-3 in the Houston Astrodome. Uh, during that game, Jim Kelly suffered a sprained right knee, and backup quarterback Frank Reich had to fill in. Didn't end well, and he wasn't great So, um, in that game. So the very next week, though, uh, the opening round of the playoffs, the wild card round, January 3rd, 1993, Rich Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The 11-5 Buffalo Bills were two-point favorites over the 10-6 Houston Oilers. The Oilers brought in the big guns on offense. You know, they had pro bowlers like quarterback Warren Moon and the wide receiver core had three guys go to the pro bowl. Haywood Jeffries, Ernest Givens, and Curtis Duncan. None of which actually went they went over a thousand yards that year which to me was weird and then there's running back lorenzo white who was he had ran for well over 1200 yards and caught 57 passes when they had all pros two all pros on the defensive side linebacker al smith uh, and defensive tackle ray childress who happened to be the cause of jim kelly's knee injury the bills were great in their own right right even though they were missing kelly a pro bowler himself they still had thurman thomas Andre Reed, Steve Tasker, who was a special team pro bowler, Nate Odoms, Bruce Smith, and Cornelius Bennett, and then all pro safety Henry Jones. Basically, Buffalo was trying to get to the Super Bowl for the third year in a row. And that would be hard to do with Jim Kelly without Jim Kelly, that is. Well, Warren Moon in that offense, they had no mercy on the Bills in the first half. Moon threw four first half touchdown passes. All four of their drives finished with touchdowns. They built a 28-3 halftime lead. Things only got worse in the second half at the beginning of the third quarter. Frank Reich tries to throw a pass. Uh, it was like a, a, out to uh, out in the flat to tight end Keith McKellar. It goes off his hands and into the hands of Oilers strong safety Bubba McDowell, who returned it 58 yards for a touchdown. What happens in the minds of people when you're down 35-3? What happens? What happens? Bills fans, they started heading for the exits after that touchdown. And they will miss out, some of them, on the greatest comeback in NFL history. Consider this. Frank Reich was making his first playoff start in his eight-year NFL career. And then future Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas would miss a majority of the second half of the game, I believe it was, because of a sore hip. He was replaced by our backup, Kenneth Davis, who, if you don't remember Kenneth Davis, that dude was pretty good. He could have started on a lot of the teams, in my opinion. But you're missing your two two best players, uh, two of your best players, and you're down 32 points, even though that defense is still on the field. Hmm. You're on the sidelines. You're down 30 at home, 32 points. Your defense can't stop a nosebleed right now, and they can't cover a bed with a sheet either. How do you come back from that? How? Now, as quarterback Frank Reich would say after the game, and I quote, one play at a time. Those who do not know, as a senior at Maryland in 1984, Frank Wright actually engineered the greatest comeback in college football history as well. And this was against none other than the U. University of Miami, they were down 31 to zip. Wright brought them all the way back. They outscored them 42 to nine. They won the game 42 to 40. Well, Houston kicker, Al Del Greco, mistakenly squibs a kick, uh, which Buffalo recovers at the 50. 
By the way, it was a very windy day. So the result of that drive, the Buffalo drive, uh, Killer Davis, a one-yard touchdown run. Thurman Thomas, again, he was out with that hip injury. Uh, Oilers 35, uh, Buffalo 10. Buffalo kicker Steve Christie recovers his own onside kick. The result, a 38-yard touchdown pass to Don Beebe. Oilers up 35-17. Houston ends the third quarter without a first down. In one of those drives, Henry uh, Jones actually got a tip drill interception to set up another Bills score, but two of those Bills drive resulted in two Frank Reich to Andre Reid touchdown passes. So they cut the lead to 35 to 31 of the Oilers. Fourth quarter, Oilers finally have a chance to put points on the board. Instead, uh, it was the holder and punter, Greg Montgomery. He botches a snap on a 32-yard field goal attempt. The following Buffalo drive ends with a 17-yard touchdown pass to Reed. Bills take the lead 38 to 35. Houston finally getting it together with a final drive of regulation, and they tied the game at 38 with a 26-yard field goal from Del Greco. Now, remember that I said earlier, fans started filing out of the stadium after the pick six at the beginning of the third? Yeah, security was not trying to let fans back in at the end of regulation. But these fools started climbing the fences and tried to get back in there, and they did it. And for safety reasons, they were allowed back into the stadium. Nothing worse than a team playing not to lose a game until they're desperate. On third, uh, on the third playoff overtime, uh, third play of overtime, Warren Moon was picked off by Nate Odoms. What made it worse was an additional 15-yard penalty on Haywood Jeffries. If you watch, he's get calls for a face mask tackling Odoms to the ground. Add 15 more on it, right? Two running plays later, Steve Christie kicks the game-winning 32-yard field goal to finish the greatest comeback in NFL history, 41-38 to in OT. You asked the question about the mindset of players. According to ESPN.com, uh, an article by Elena Getzenberg, Houston offensive coordinator, uh, who was, what was his name? Kelvin Gilbride. He says... Uh, Kevin Gilbride says to Warren Moon, he says, what What did you do? He's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. He says, what did you do? And Moon responded, what's the difference? It was third down. We had to get it. If we didn't get it, we weren't going to stop them. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. And no, they didn't. They couldn't stop them. Houston was never the same after that. Um, yeah. That, that that wow i still can't believe that happened we got more for you guys but that's it for today's show references let's get to them thanks to yardbarker.com the most crushing defeats in nfl press playoff history and it was updated october 24 2021 article by sam robinson also ProFootballHallOfFame.com, a short article called Unbelievable. Buffalo Comeback was won for the books by Vic Carucci. Also, two books. The Sporting News, Complete Super Bowl Book, the 1993 edition. I got three authors that were included in that. Tom Diner, Joe Hoppel, and Dave Sloan. Also, you know the book, America's Game, the NFL at 100. 
co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Also, thanks again to ProFootballHallOfFame.com, ProFootballReference.com, and ESPNGot.com. I'll see you guys next Tuesday. This has been, well, really Wednesday is when the show drops. Uh, closing this out, this has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Click on it. Go to it. Read it. Listen to it. All of that. Uh, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Tell all of your friends and family about this show. Tell your mom, your daddy, your mama's sisters, cousins, aunties, sisters, uh, cousins, nephews, former roommate, or I'll find your house. Out. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.